0: Deep in. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Do you wish that you could see it all?
1: singing, honoring
0: our Messiah hold forever those He loves. He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He
1: does. Go ahead and take a seat.
2: Silent for so long. None of his prophets speaking his vile word. His priests corrupt. His people captive. We'd worked it so that Rome was occupying his precious promised land. We had his people, oppressed and under the thumb of the most powerful nation in the world. His people, captives in their own land. (laughs) Then, that star appeared in the sky. That damn star. That symbol of doom. I can still feel its cursed glow. It was always silent. Always night. We were ever only given bits and pieces of information. The lieutenants hardly told us anything. And then it came. Our spies intercepted information that we thought would tip the scales in our favor. We couldn't believe it. We were all wrong. Where was the crown? The sword, the power, the glory. A baby, a child, a mere human. We roared with delight. Started with just one, one of his servants. He was in a field, talking to some shepherds, which were on our side, by the way, up until that night. We got the order, take him down. We moved into place, ready, waiting to attack. Bethlehem was ours, that promised land, was ours this world is ours we surrounded him Chanting glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased I'll never forget those words it haunts my dreams It's all I hear It's all I hear That song those words All our power was gone. The stronghold was lost. All we could do was retreat. Some of us made it out. I wasn't so lucky. Why would he come down as a child? He had all that power just to give it up. song, those words, our power was gone, but we had them surrounded.
3: that that song is kind of the, the story of the year for you, that maybe you've, you've felt like uh, you've been surrounded, you felt like there's been this attack after attack after attack, but um, God was moving. Pray with me. Jesus, wow. Just pray that uh, everybody here would be able to uh, feel your presence, Lord we uh, celebrate your birth, your, <laughs> your arrival. Pray that we would be in tune with that and our hearts and our minds would be open uh, to hearing from you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Wow. Yeah, let's, that was crazy. Who invited you to this Christmas service? You know, when you do something like that, you get nervous like right as it's about to happen. Because you start thinking of the conversations that will happen on the way home. Like, what did that, what kind of Christmas service did you go to? What did they have? Oh, a demon on stage. (laughs) That's normal, right? So, uh, my name's Adam. I'm the lead pastor here. We're really excited that you chose to spend part of your days leading up to Christmas. I know this is like prime real estate for you. Leading up to that, so we're really thankful for that. And uh, I always get a little weird around these major holidays, like I really do. And I don't know if you know, I don't know what you believe. You maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're not, maybe you're not even religious at all. But but what I think is that like you're sitting here, um, for a reason. Like God God kind of orchestrated you sitting here. I don't know. You maybe have some reasons why you think you're here, but I think God's up to something. So. All right, man, that threw me off. I'm not going to lie; I had a totally different intro. Um, I usually overprepare for this. So, have you ever had uh, something happen in your life where where the situation looked bleak, where um, you were you were looking ahead and it looked the odds are that things weren't going to go well, or or maybe instead maybe maybe you are facing a situation where you had a fork in the road, and you didn't know uh, which path to take. Or maybe instead you just had this feeling like you were kind of just almost like upside down, like chaotic, kind of out of control. And you went to somebody and you were asking them for advice. And the advice that they gave you was, just have faith. Just have faith. You ever, you ever had that happen before or something like that where, where this person, well-meaning, uh, even sounds kind of Christian, doesn't it? Just have faith. But they're, they're trying to help you and they say that sentence. So um, if you're like me, you're not going to like that sentence. <laughs> uh, so my first problem is, is with the word just, right? So if you tell me just have faith, if you put the word just in front of have faith, it sounds like what you're saying is that having faith is like the easiest thing that I could do. Like that's a downhill thing that uh, when I look at all my circumstances and it looks bleak, that if I ju- just have faith, that's the easiest, most simple thing that you could do. And I don't know about you, but for me, having faith in difficult situations, that's like the hardest option. So to put the word just there doesn't make any sense to me. And my second problem with that sentence, just have faith, is actually with the word faith. You know, it's surprising because I'm a pastor. Um, but, and I'm not anti-faith, actually. I'm very pro-faith. I hope you know that. Mosaic is pro-faith. I don't want to confuse you. We already had a demon on stage. I don't want you to be confused um, by this. Um, but it, it depends on what you mean when you say faith. See, because I think a lot of people have a misconception about faith. I think a lot of people um, when when they say faith, they mean like like a religious optimism, you know like a like a looking on the bright side with a sprinkling of spirituality on top. you know what I'm saying like a like a pious optimism, um, like like you just um, should should be a little bit optimistic and a little bit spiritual. Like a holy fantasy, like a stick your head in the sand and hope things get better and uh, if you're if if you um consider yourself a realist or or even a little cynical, you're gonna hate that right that they' you're just telling me to 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 deny reality right by telling me to have faith, and honestly, maybe that's what some people mean. I just want you to know maybe when when somebody gives you that that advice, that's exactly what they mean just Look on the bright side. Sprinkle some Jesus on top, you'll be fine. But my question is, does that kind of faith work? Like in your real life, in your actual scenarios that you actually live out, does that work? Just kind of looking on the bright side, kind of being religiously optimistic? Can I answer for you? No, it doesn't. Um, And then the second question I want to ask is, what kind of faith would work? What kind of faith actually works in real life? What kind of faith works when you have uh, more days left in the month than money left in the bank account? Could I get a December amen for that, right? Um, what kind of faith works when somebody's wronged you uh, and, and hurt you deeply and, and you know you should forgive but you don't know how? What kind of faith works then? What kind of faith works when a deep loneliness settles in at a certain time of year? What kind of faith works when you lose someone you love? religious optimism work then? I mean, if somebody tells you to just have faith in those situations, don't you kind of want to just punch them in the face for that? Don't you? Because it it doesn't make any sense in that. What kind of faith actually works, though, in in real life? See, I think we need something else. I think we need something more. I think we need something deeper and and more powerful. So um, I actually think the story of Christmas shows us the kind of faith that will actually work in your life. And I want to read the story to you. It's in Luke chapter 2. If you grew up in church, you've totally never heard these verses before in your entire life. Uh, so it's, it's Luke chapter 2 starting. We're just going to start in verse 1. We're going to do this the old-fashioned way here. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, census each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged engaged to him and was with child. Important fact in the story. Don't miss that. While they were there, uh, the days were completed for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. All right. Question. All you Christians in the room, can you turn your Christian off for a minute? In that, forget everything you know about this, this story, just for a minute. What I just read, just based off what I just read, has anything supernatural happened yet? Just based on those seven verses, anything? Yes. No. Shut it. No. A baby was born. We didn't know, We don't know anything about him yet, okay? Stop it. See, what I think what, what happens sometimes when you read the story, we, we do this thing, especially if you're like me. So I grew up in church. Um, I, I've heard the story like a million times. What I do is I skip right uh, to, to the supernatural, right? You kind of let the supernatural override what you actually just read. So um, w- what happens is because you know who this baby is, you kind of ignore the physical reality of the story, Right? You, or, or you idealize the physical reality of the story. You jump right to that perfect nativity moment. You know, that perfect nativity moment. Y'all got a nativity somewhere in your house right now. You jump to that, right? It's this iconic, serene, perfect scene where, you know, you got Mary in there. You got Joseph in there. You got some shepherds on the outside. You got a, a cow. You got a fluffy little sheep in there. You have some magi, even though that's wrong. They weren't there the first night. It's cool. You can keep them It makes your nativity look cooler. Um... But you skip to that moment, right? That frozen in time, perfect nativity moment where the baby's there and he's kind of glowing a little bit. Everybody has halos on their heads for some reason. I don't know. Even the sheep has a halo on his head. Um, and and you, you skip the physical part. Like, and what that does to us, like, it makes the Bible not feel real. Right, You, you kind of push it away from yourself, and it almost seems like, like something that's distant. So can we stop for a minute and just imagine what this would have actually been like? Can we not skip these verses and jump right to the perfect scene? What, what Mary and Joseph actually just went through in these, these first seven verses, first thing, I don't know if you noticed, but the government told them they had to go somewhere. I don't like going to the DMV. Okay, that's annoying. I can't believe that the government and they had to go halfway across the country. You know the distance between uh, Bethlehem and, and uh, where they were Nazareth. It's like it's like about ninety ish miles, about the distance between Wadsworth and Columbus. Okay, and the government said travel that far, and they had to, and, and and they didn't have a minivan. Okay, so it wasn't gonna be a it wasn't gonna be a quick trip. And and by the way, I don't know if you caught this. Mary's pregnant. And not a little pregnant. Not like a baby bump. You're not sure if you should ask her because you don't know yet. We're talking pregnant, pregnant, like waddles when she walks pregnant, okay? And she's got a 90-mile journey. And we always, I don't know if you know this, but all the pictures show a donkey. But nobody, we don't know if she had a donkey. She could have had to walk the whole way. Could have been a camel, could have been a donkey. We don't know. We don't know. But here's something I do. I know a little bit about pregnant women, just a little. Um, I know, especially when when they get that pregnant, that... um, They can't get comfortable on like a mattress made out of a cloud, okay? let alone on the back of a donkey, okay? So, so this is not going to be pleasant for her, okay? Can you imagine how many times they had to stop to go to the bathroom because the baby's jumping on her bladder, you know? And then just, to, just, she's like going over by a bush and Joseph's over here like, if we don't hurry up, there's not going to be any rooms left in the end. And Mary's like, what'd you say? Nothing, honey, I love you, you know? That's the kind of stuff, right? And then you have to imagine, like this is a stressful situation. She's about to give birth and they had to go on this journey because if they don't, you know, Rome's going to have something to say about that. This probably isn't the way they imagined it going, Right? You can't tell me that she didn't, like, open up the snack bag and be like, Joseph, three granola bars? Really? I'm pregnant. We're going halfway across the country. You can't tell me it wasn't a little bit of a discussion, right? That was a little bit of a discussion. And then they get there. And they're knocking on all these doors, and no, there's nowhere to stay. Again, like, when I'm traveling, and I'm going to a hotel, and they, like, don't have my room ready, I'm annoyed. You know, like, I'm like, come on, like, I'll clean my own room. Like, but they didn't have anywhere. And I had just imagined that... You know, Joseph said, Here, you wait here. I'll go knock on some doors. And he went knock, 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 knock. And he comes back. He's like, Hey, um, I found us a place. And Mary's like, Really? Where? Where, Joseph? And he's like, It's this barn. <laughs> what? It's a barn. You're going to tell me that's not a fight? He just told his pregnant wife that she's going to have a baby in a barn. You tell me that was, that's, that, dude, that's conversation, okay? And, and I'm thinking there's some Hebrew cuss words maybe involved in this conversation, okay? If, if it's real, okay? And then imagine, imagine that, that they, 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 now they got to go and they, they, they walk up to this stable. And I don't know if you know this, but like the first thing that hits you in the face when you walk into a barn is the smell, right? you getting hit in the face with that. Your nativity, by the way, is wrong. It needs to smell. If you want your nativity to be accurate, you should put some little uh, chocolate chips in there. I'll do it. Make it more accurate. Because that's real, right? That's real. And she's going to have a baby there. Boys, having a baby, is a, that's like a wild ride, right? Um, I hear it hurts a little. Rumor has it. And uh, it's just, t- t- to be honest, even best case scenario, that's a scary thing, right? You're, you're bringing a baby into this world. That's a, that's a terrifying experience. So try to imagine what it would be like for this, this couple... To have their first child in this, these conditions after what they just experienced. Can you imagine what that would be like? That's nothing like what they were picturing. That's nothing like what they were planning the months leading up to this. Nothing. And here they are. So let me ask you, what kind of faith would work in that situation? What kind of faith would get Mary and Joseph through those seven verses? A denial of reality wouldn't work, right? A, a religious wishful thinking, a pious optimism, a looking on the bright side with a spink, sprinkle of, well, Jesus, a little weird, spirituality on top. Wouldn't work, would it? The truth is about that first Christmas was that the conditions were rough, man. It was, it was a difficult first Christmas. But what was happening in the physical was not the only thing happening, right? That was not the only thing happening. So if you continue the story in Luke chapter 2, there's a, a little bit of like a pulling back of the curtain, a pulling back of the physical and the spiritual shines through. Uh, so if you pick it up in verse 8, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby guarding the flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared Among them, and the radiance of God's glory, uh, surrounded them, and they were terrified. I'm sorry, so I grew up in church, and we had to memorize this in the King James Version. So I still revert back to that, Uh, the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid is the way that's supposed to go at the end, in case you didn't know. So what that just said is that right around the time Mary's giving birth, there's some shepherds off in a field having a normal shepherd night, and then boom! An angel appears. The spiritual breaks through the physical and the first overtly supernatural thing uh, happens in this chapter. An angel, an imposing, terrifying angel. It was scary. And here's what happens. Verse 10. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will be great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. What did he just say? This is interesting, because you know what he just did? He retold the story that we just read in verses 1 through 7, didn't he? But from a, a different perspective, Right? Uh, he he pulled back. Yes, the, the first seven verses were all about the, the physical experience. But he just told about a spiritual thing that happened. So yeah, uh, a mom had a baby in a barn after a really long journey. But from the angel's perspective, God was moving. The physical was a normal, albeit difficult experience. But the in the spiritual, it was an event of great significance. Matter of fact, that's an understatement because the, the angel just said, That the most important thing that ever happened, happened in a barn. He just said that. That while one thing was happening in the physical, something else was happening in the spiritual. Normal in the physical, crazy significant in the spiritual. Difficult in the physical, God was moving in the spiritual. Confusing, discouraging, frustrating in the physical. Most important thing to ever happen in the spiritual. There are two things going on in this story at once. Did you know there are also two things going on in your story at once? All the time. Now, the angel isn't done. Before we keep going on that thought, he's going to pull back the curtain just a bit more so we don't miss the -the behind-the-scenes principle here. So uh, check out verses 13 and 14. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. This is my second favorite part of the Christmas story right here. It didn't used to be. So um, growing up, you know, these verses are always portrayed. They're portrayed in children's books. They're portrayed uh, on Christmas cards. Um, and, and usually, uh, this group of angels is is portrayed as a boys choir, right? Isn't it? Um, all angels are blonde. I don't know if you know that, but evidently that's true. And if we're honest, they're kind of girly looking. Uh, long flowing robes, singing soprano, and trumpets in their hands, right? Isn't that what the Christmas card that you have looks like? Or the children's book that tells this part of the story? But that's not what this verse says, is it? This does not say the choirs of heaven came down to put on a nice little concert, does it? This says the armies of heaven. Armies. That's different. It's got a different feel to it. You know, doesn't it? And isn't that weird that we go, we go choir when it says army? This isn't trumpets, this is swords, and this isn't soprano, this is baritone. You know what I'm saying? Like this is, and, and listen, I actually do think this is a song, but it's more than a song. You know? It's a, it's a battle cry. It's a, it's a declaration, a pronouncement, a prophecy, an eternal spiritual truth spoken to a physical hurting world. It's supposed to kind of reverberate out. And in that moment, man, heaven emptied, poured down on Bethlehem like water on rock. I imagine by the time they were done, there was not a demon within 10 miles of that stable. I like to imagine it as a heavenly escort or the king of creation, to make landfall. It's cooler than a choir, isn't it? C.S. Lewis put it this way. Enemy-occupied territory, that is what this world is. Christianity, you might say Christmas, is the story of how the rightful king has landed, and you might say landed in disguises, and calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. On Christmas night, heaven invaded earth. A baby born in a barn in Bethlehem was the God of the universe coming to live among humans. In the physical, it was just a poor kid born to some kind of unprepared parents, right? But in the spiritual, God came down. That's crazy. I, I don't have enough adjectives to describe that. I looked them up, uh, synonym.com. I couldn't find anything worthy of this awesome, astonishing, Why? I just come back to why. This just wild. I can't even wrap my brain around it. God came down. And I just want you to know, something. If, if you're not uh, a Christian, or maybe even if you're not re- religious at all, um, you have to admit that, that if there is a God, just hypothetically, and if that God would come down, And like live among humans. That that would be the most important thing to ever happen, right? If there's a God and he came down, then that would be it. And you can kind of imagine, if you're not religious, why we Christians make such a big deal out of this. Because we actually believe that that's what happened on Christmas. That God did not stay in heaven, but he chose to come down here and live among us. So that my argument would be that like Christmas is either the most important thing to happen ever. Or it is not important at all. Because... The only thing it can't be is is mildly important, right? That doesn't even make sense. Either it was just a poor kid born in a barn, or the creator of the universe stepped into human history. It's one of the two. So either celebrate it or don't, you know what I mean? So, back to the question what kind of faith works? What kind of faith would have gotten Mary and Joseph through that first Christmas? What kind of faith will get you through the difficult seasons of your life? What kind of faith is actually going to work in your day in, day out, actual real life? Not just a church for an hour on Sunday mornings. What kind of faith is actually going to work out there in the real world? I want to give you, uh, I'm going to call it three levels of faith. Uh, the first one you're, you're pretty familiar with I want it's, it's faith as belief. I think that's a lot of people, when they talk about faith, they talk about it as, as belief. Belief in God. Yes. Um, but more than that, man, like, belief in a God who, who's close. Belief in a God who, who came down. Uh, by the way, I, um, I really like C.S. Lewis. You know, C.S. Lewis is a famous Christian author. Um, he... Uh, his journey to faith was he became a theist. He, he, he started to believe in God. And then, like, later, he he became a Christian. So it was kind of a progression. Like, first, he's like, okay, I look around and I see this world. Like, it, it has, there has to be a creator for this. That's the first thing that happened. And then, as he went, uh, he believed in Jesus, not just god but but that god came down and and that he uh did some very important things while he was down here so there was a progression there i just want you to know that that that's okay that if you're kind of moving along the journey um that, that that that's kind of the way it works sometimes belief the reason christmas is the most important thing to ever happen is because it means that god is not waiting on us to climb to him you know that that's, that's most, most people kind of have that perception of God that you've got to work your way up to Him. That you have to climb that moral ladder, that you have to do enough good things to make God love you and hope that when you get to the pearly gates at the end, you know, you've like tipped the scales in your favor and He lets you in. Isn't that kind of how most people think? But Christmas says, no, 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 don't think that way. God came down to you rather than you having to climb your way to Him. And the reason he came isn't just to come hang out. He came for the purpose of dying. He died on the cross in your place for your sin. He died so that you could have a home in heaven and a relationship with God here on this earth. Heaven is not something that you earn. It's it's a gift to the forgiven. So the most important aspect of faith that you can have is faith in Jesus. Faith that his death and his resurrection paid for your life. Faith that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection gave you a deep, real relationship with your creator. And I believe that kind of faith, faith as belief, is actually the foundation for everything else in your life. Because it flips everything upside down. Now you don't do good things so that you'll get to heaven when you die. You do good things because God already gave you heaven. It's reversed. You don't do good things to earn God's love. You do good things because God already loves you freely. And now you can can live from that love. So much better. It's the foundation of everything. So the first level of faith is belief. Belief. Man, if you haven't made that decision yet. And and that one, it is. It kind of starts as a choice. You just have to choose. And... um, it's kind of the doorway into a life of faith. So that's step one. And then what happens as you, as you make that choice, uh, you'll start to be introduced to like this, this second level. And uh, I'm drawing things on my, can you guys see what I'm doing? I don't know what I'm doing then. I'm just drawing up here. Can you see everything? I'm sorry. Second level. So you're going to go after you with belief is faith is trust. Faith is trust. First you believe, then you start the process of trusting this God, right? And trust is another level. I think you can believe in God. I think you can believe in Jesus. I think you can believe that he died on the cross for you and still struggle to trust him sometimes. Can we be real? Now, I think a lot of churches, man, we we don't allow any room for that at all. That sometimes it's hard to trust God. Sometimes the situations you're in, you're looking around going, God, what are you doing? That's real. And I think trusting God is a process that you'll get better and better at. For me, the way it's worked in my life, the way I've, so so belief came for me at an early age. I kind of grew up in the church, so I got saved real early. And then the process of trusting God has been this lifelong thing. And what's really helped me is I kind of believe that this level, trusting God is about God's heart. It means that you have confidence in the character of God. It means that you have an assurance of his integrity. You trust his heart. And I think, man, one of the, one of the messages of Christmas is that God understands what we're going through on an experiential level. Jesus experienced frustration, disappointment, anger, loneliness, loss, pain, betrayal, He's experienced all that. So when you go through that, he's not up in heaven going, man, that must stink. And you don't get to say back to him, uh, you you know, it's easy for you to say. You don't get to say that anymore because he actually can say, no, 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 I've felt that before. I know what that's like. And for me, that helps me trust his heart because he knows what all those feelings are like. He knows what it's like to be down here in this mess. It helps me trust him more. So whatever you're going through today, Jesus has been there. That's why I trust his heart. Trust is a day-by-day, circumstance-by-circumstance decision, right? And see, here's what happens. As you start to trust God, and, and so you, you believe, and then, and then you start this process of trusting, um, what will happen is you won't use your circumstances to interpret uh, what you believe about God. It'll start to flip on its head, and you will use what you believe about God to interpret your circumstances, right? That's, that's where the man, the, the life of faith starts to come alive when you say, no, 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 I, I know my God. I know, I know that he loves me. I know uh, that, that he's moving in my life. So therefore, this thing that I'm going through, um, he, he's gotta be doing something with it. That's, that's where uh, things really start to shift. Rather than being shaken by everything that comes into your life, you're anchored. By a deep trust in God's heart. So faith is belief. Faith is trust. And then the last stage you'll hit in the Christian life, the last stage you'll hit, is faith as a perspective. Faith as a perspective. It's where this thing really comes alive. And this is the one I really want you to see in, the, in the, this Christmas story. The message of the Christmas story is that there are always two things happening in your life at the same time. There are always two. The thing you're going through in the physical and what God is doing in the spiritual. There are always two things happening. The physical, what you see, hear, and feel. And the spiritual, the behind the scenes, what God is doing that you can't see all the time. See, faith as a perspective is when you train yourself to see the world through two sets of eyes. You see the physical, you understand what's going on in your life, but you also see what God is doing in your life. You see that He's weaving a story together, that He's up to some things behind the scenes. So, you, you, and I think this is where maybe you get tripped up because a lot of people, you know, if you're a realist, if you um, are a little bit cynical, Again, you kind of look at faith as this, this religious optimism, but no, no, no. Faith as a perspective is not just this, this look on the bright side of things. You're allowed to be real when you have faith as a perspective. You see your relationships, you see your financial situation, your job, your happiness, your pain, your day-by-day life. You'll see it, but you will also see a deeper reality. And you're going to allow the the deeper spiritual reality to inform how you think about, how you uh, make decisions, even how you feel in the physical reality. And I think what you'll find is as you get into difficult situations, what will get you through the dark times, what will give you direction and purpose and hope is faith as a perspective. A way of seeing the world. Man, I hope you know this. Like faith is, faith is a perspective. Is not a denial of reality. If something sucks, you can say it sucks. You're allowed to, Christian. You're allowed to. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to suck it up. You don't have to... Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Shut up. If it hurts, it hurts. You're allowed to let it hurt. But at the same time, you you have that reality and then you have a deeper one where God loves me and he's moving and I trust that even if it takes an entire lifetime, he's going to do something with this pain that I have right now. Both are true. You can say this sucks and be a Christian. You can say this hurts and be a Christian. And then you just also acknowledge that there's a deeper reality that we live in a sinful fallen world. Where there's a spiritual battle going on, and you acknowledge that God is going to ultimately wipe every tear from, from your eyes. But it hasn't happened yet. I think a lot of times Christians forget that. Faith as a perspective is an attempt to live your entire life in the context of eternity. Man, you know how awesome your life, like I don't want to say awesome your life would be. That's a lie. But how different would it be if everything that happened, every day you lived, you lived it in light of eternity, in light of what God is doing, not just in your life, but but in your life, dot, dot, dot. See, when you feel surrounded, overwhelmed in the physical, you know God's doing something. Mary and Joseph, they could have got caught up And the physical nightmare that was that first Christmas night. But I think they looked through it. They knew that God was moving. They knew that God was working. Mary knew. I just want you to know Mary knew. Nobody. Okay. I love our our church. It's a song, guys. Come on. That's what I want for you. I want... Uh, not just faith as belief, not just faith as trust, I want faith as a perspective, a way of living your life, a way of seeing everything that happens through the lens of a deeper spiritual reality that gives the physical one meaning and purpose and hope that 's what I want second corinthians four eighteen is like my favorite bible verse you 're not allowed to see it. <laughs> I'll read it to you. Why we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Man, the things you can't see, they're so much more than the things there's so much more important than the things that you can see. What if you could get that? Even just for this season, for the next couple of days, could you live with faith as a perspective? Could you live with trying to see with two sets of eyes. Yes, yes, this is what your life is, but man, what, what, what about attempting to look beneath the surface? Man, how different would it be? Would you stand and worship with us?
0: Let's let this last song just be our Christmas anthem. the hallelujah chorus. You guys ready to worship with us?